the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm so glad you could be here with me today. Today is Tuesday the 25th. Merry Christmas! I hope it was a cheerful Christmas. I I hope that you have family or someone in town that you're finding joy in life and thinking on the things of Christ. But not just for today, not just for this month. I hope you do this every day of your life and don't limit it to such a short period of time in our lives. Today, I want us to take a look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Chapter 29, verses 1 through 14, and I'm going to title this lesson, How to Get Through an Exile. How to Get Through an Exile. Here's why. Things are going great today, Lord willing, for you, and but you're going to have to go back to work. Politics and the news is going to come back into your life. You're going to see just how bad things are in the world. And it, it always seems like it's getting worse, doesn't it? You know, every generation it feels like this is it's never been worse than it has been today because we're living in it and we, we didn't actually live in the other times. And it always feels like that. We always wonder, man, is this the end? Is, is, is it really bad? Is it really this bad? And so I want to give a lesson about how do you get through and exile. Because I I have found for me, whenever I have such great times of joy, and then I get back into the real world, I stop and think, man, it is so bad. (laughs) Because things were so great, I've forgotten how great life can be. And Christmas time usually does that. It helps me forget about how bad certain things are. And my mind and my heart turns to more wonderful things with my wife, my kids, my family. And uh, not just my physical family, but my spiritual family. And I just have so much joy, and there's so much peace and love. And so many of those things are lacking in this world today. So let's, or let me, open up Jeremiah chapter 29 and read verses 1 through 14 for you, just in case you're driving or something. But let's let me start by reading this passage. Passage. Jeremiah writes. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah uh, yeah, and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't have my names uh, worked out here, Elisha, 
the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters." and multiply there, and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it its, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and find me, when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Alrighty. Well, let's start with a little background here, shall we? The events of this chapter occur sometime after 598 B.C., after Nebuchadnezzar had taken many people of Jerusalem into captivity. The people of God were now in exile, which was almost inconceivable to them. After all, they were the chosen race, right? They were the nation that believed and worshipped Jehovah. How could this be happening to them? Jeremiah, at this time, was still in Jerusalem preaching to those who remained behind. There were those who wanted to solicit Egypt's help against Babylon, and some who wanted to flee to Egypt for safety from Babylon's next attack on Jerusalem. Jeremiah preached that this exile was from God and that it should not be opposed. Any attempt to overcome the exile would end in disaster because, well, it was of God. Among the exiles in Babylon, there were false prophets who claimed that the exile would not last long. Jeremiah had to keep reminding the people that God had already said it would last 70 years years. Because of the inaccuracy of the teaching in Babylon, Jeremiah sent this letter to the exiles. In the letter, he discusses how these people of God should deal with the exile. In verses 4 to 14, I think we can glean about four principles from what the prophet writes. And when we look at these, or as we look at these, 
I want to make a comparison of the exile to the Christian's time of trials. Our life on earth may be viewed as an exile. We are not home in this existence. We are in a foreign land, and we long to go home. During our sojourn in this land, we're going to experience some of the same problems that our ancient Israelite ancestors experienced. So what are some of the principles we need, uh, we need to hear in order that we might know how to live through our own exile? Well, here's the first one, found verses 4, 5, and 6. Accept the exile as reality. Accept it as reality. Jeremiah tells the elders in Babylon to settle down in the land. He lists a number of decisions that they, they must make. Build houses, plant gardens, get married, raise a family. These are the activities that you engage in if you're going to stay somewhere for a while. The point is, this exile is not going to go away anytime soon. It's going to last 70 years. So, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Now, in like manner, Christians must be reconciled to the reality of trials. Just because we have given our lives to God does not mean we will never suffer. In fact, some suffering is a direct result of our being Christians. Paul, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When Paul preached the gospel, he would tell it like it is. That included the warning that being a Christian would bring trials. First, or 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4 so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. The point is that as Christians living in exile, we must, come to grips with the reality of suffering in this life. So, number one, we need to accept the exile as reality. This is the way it's going to be. Number two, pray for those causing the exile. That's verse 7. Jeremiah wanted them to seek the welfare or the peace of their captors. Ugh. This must have come as a surprise to the elders in Babylon. The normal reaction to such adversity would be to ask God to rain fire on their enemies. You may remember the sons of Zebedee, when the, they were the advanced party for Jesus. They go into Samaria, and they didn't want Jesus to come through there. They, they said, no, no, we want him to go around. He's a Jew. And so they came back and said, Lord, do you want us to rain fire upon them? <laughs> no, that is not what you do. <clears throat> but in this case, the Israelites deserved the suffering because of their sins. The exile was punishment, and Jeremiah is saying that they must accept this as discipline from the Lord. <clears throat> In the teachings of Christ, we are commanded to pray for those who mistreat us. You know, 
life, life is going to be tough. It's most especially tough on the Christian. And we can be made to suffer because, well, we are Christians. If we see ourselves living as exiles, our focus will be on heaven and not on earthly things. We must live for a time on this earth, and we have to deal with the circumstances of earthly life. Our first reaction to those who cause us suffer, or to suffer, might be revenge. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good uh, to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And that can be difficult. We need to accept the reality, the, the exile as a reality. Pray for those who cause us to be in uh, exile. And don't be misled by false teachers, verses 8 and 9. There were false prophets popping up all over Babylon. They would claim to have a message from God, but in reality, they were not true prophets. One thing they claimed was that this exile would not be long, when God had already said it was going to last 70 years. If people accepted the teaching of these false prophets, they would be misled into rebelling against Babylon and making their decisions uh, that go against what God really wanted. And it would make their lives even harder than it needed to be. It was already rough. Don't add misery to misery. In the Christian exile, we are constantly bombarded by false prophets. There are so many in the world today claiming that they speak for God, but really do not have a message from Him. They are misleading people into false hopes. And you know what? In the area of suffering, there are at least three false teachings that continue to be promoted. Number one, if you suffer, it's your fault. That I, It just baffles me that that continues to be the case. There are so many that continue to teach that, and it's not true. And what they're saying is, all suffering is due to your own personal sins. This was the same reasoning of Job's fair-weather friends. They kept telling Job that he must have sinned uh, to be suffering so severely, and that if he would just repent, God would change his physical condition. Job argued against their reasoning, because he knew from experience that that was not true. Jesus declared that the presence of suffering is not always the result of our own sins. John chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. So, the first thing that they promote, false teachers even today, if you suffer, it's your fault. Number two, it won't last long. This was the erroneous message of the false prophets in the days of Jeremiah. And since they had no word from God, that message was from their own thinking. Sometimes teachers will mislead people into believing that since God loves us so much, he won't make us suffer for very long. However, people do suffer for a long time, extended periods of time, some even their entire life. We simply cannot speak for God in such manners. 
And we should not build up false hopes based on inaccurate teachings. Number three, they'll say, if you have enough faith, everything will be all right. Well, that's not true. So-called faith healers employ this false concept. The healings of the New Testament were the result of the power of God and not the faith of the individual. The faith of the individual simply led the sufferer to do whatever the Lord commanded them to do in a miraculous healing. Many people feel guilty because of this false teaching, thinking that you know their problem is their faith, and that since they did not or do not have enough faith to be rid of their difficulties, then they are not acceptable to God. You know, on the lighter not lighter side, but on the more simple side of this same concept, you ever Maybe you uh, were involved in this, or maybe you've seen a video of this. Um, I can't remember what they call it. It's where you stand up on a podium, or not a podium, but on, on a step stool, and people are behind you. you got your back to them. You close your eyes, and you fall into their arms, and you have to trust that they will catch you. Oh, faith. Trust. Faith. You know? Um, I think a lot of people have done this. And I'm not even sure if I have. Maybe I have. I don't know. I don't remember. That is a false view of faith. That is not what faith is. In fact, you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where God requires somebody to do something for him with no evidence that it's from him or that he is going to be with them. And he, whenever somebody, somebody needs evidence in the beginning, like if they're unsure, he gives them the evidence. But he doesn't give them, keeps giving the evidence he eventually expects them to grow up and do what he says. For example, Gideon, when the angel came to him, he was a little circum, a little worry, worried about it, and uh, he was still a little worried when uh, he was told when God told him to do some other things. So he put that fleece out on the ground. It's all oh, let this be wet and let it be dry around, and let the ground be dry, uh, be wet, and the fleece be be dry in the morning. And he kept doing that like two or three times, and the Lord did it. Because the Lord's giving him some evidence to work with. But the Lord today has given us plenty of evidence. It's not a blind faith. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's not a close your eyes and fall backwards. God gives us evidence. It's all around us. It's in us. It's in his word. We just have to have the, the wherewithal, the studying, and the time to read it to know the truth. You've got to invest it. Now, the, the fourth uh, thing here I want us to take a look at uh, one of the principles is that the Lord has something better in store for us verses 10 through 14 Jeremiah says that God has plans for his people the future is a gift from the Lord if the people will trust in God during the exile there is a great and glorious future that lies ahead for them in like manner, God has something good in store for us at the end of our exile here on the earth. Some people allow the tough times to defeat them. They give up on God. They are unable to see any good that can come from their suffering. But God has promised that good does come to us if we endure. Trials produce a spiritual endurance for us. 
They make us strong if we face them correctly, right? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. In trials, God is training us as sons. God never intends evil in our suffering, but wants us to learn something from the discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 makes us aware of that. In fact, you know, let me turn over there in my Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read this passage for you, but I really want to emphasize verse 11. And I'll do that when I read that. Let me see. Hebrews 12. Let me read verses 4 through 13. That, yep. 4 through 13. The Hebrew writer writes, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Here's verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I love that passage. God is training us as sons. Trials produce a spiritual endurance. Trials are God's tests for our genuineness. Tests show what we're made of. Abraham was proven faithful to God in the command to sacrifice Isaac. Job proved his loyalty to God by not giving in to all his suffering. Trials cause us to be more dependent on God, 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. And of course, in the end, when our exile on earth is complete, God has a mansion prepared for us. He has wonderful things in store for those who endure the difficulties of the exile. And so we have four principles to remember to get us through the difficult times. Accept the suffering as reality. Denying it or fighting it is not going to change it. Pray for those causing the suffering. Harbor no hatred in your heart. Do not look for quick fixes from false teachers. Look to the Lord in confident trust. He has something better in store. Suffering is no fun from an earthly perspective. Not at all. But when you begin to view suffering from God's perspective, 
that insight will enable you to endure. I hope we are all more encouraging to one another. I hope we are all seeking to assist one another through the difficulties of this life, that we might all be faithful to the end. You know, I like Christmas time. I like that people are still thinking about the Lord. I've had uh, some folks tell me that they're not big fans of Christmas. They think it's so commercialized. People, all they ever think about is presents and this and that. You know, and, and that's a very negative view. And I can understand, you know, there, there's, there are many out there that are like that and do that, even within the body of Christ. But I want to be more positive. I'm, I, I need to be more like that anyway. I need to start, start thinking the best in people. And not just in people, but even in situations. Even in bad situations, look for the good. Even if there's nothing that you can find good in a situation, look to heaven. And know that if you endure, if you make it through this, this will make you stronger. And even, even if you die, you're still going to be in a better place. There's always something more positive to see outside of your horrible circumstances, whatever those might be. And even in the good times, never forget that this, no matter how good it is, is nothing compared to the great glory that the Lord has in store for us if we endure to the end. Folks, let us redeem the time. Enjoy the time that you have with your children. Enjoy the time you have with family, with friends. Enjoy the peace that we have. It can be taken away from us at any moment. And if it does get taken away, there's a joy that can never be taken from us, and that's the joy we have in Christ. Let us remember that, not only this Christmas season, but all the days of our life. Thank you. I love you, and God loves you too. Have a wonderful day. Sending up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.